Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, October 7th. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, and Gabby. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 Hi. Elliot is not with us today. We wish him well. He's feeling kind of under the weather, so we're, we're hoping that he recovers soon. Um, so today, our topic is when the body says, whoa, rare diseases and strange ailments. Um, so we're going to be talking about um, <clears throat> some of the more bizarre medical cases from around the planet. Um, some are genetic, some are caused by injury, um, but all of them leave the most learned medical professionals scratching their heads in confusion. Uh, and so we just want to talk about uh, some of these conditions and some of the ideas around maybe why they might happen. Um, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of speculating today, so please bear with us on that. We're not offering, you know, proof uh, per se, because as we mentioned, uh, even the, the medical professionals are baffled by this stuff. So, but it, it is an interesting area of speculation. Um, I guess uh, we can just kind of jump right into it. I think the, uh, Doug, you had mentioned synesthesia when we were when we were kind of talking before the show. Um, mm. Let's start by by talking about that. Uh, and there was an interesting case. Um, the uh, who was it? Gordon Brown. Uh, the the one with uh, the man who can taste words. Gordon Brown tastes mm. revolting, while Tony Blair tastes of desiccated coconut. <laughs> what, what does Hillary Clinton taste like? <laughs> we should email him. <laughs> we'll give him a list. <laughs> list the different names. Yeah, synesthesia yeah, is a really weird one. Yeah. Kind of this thing where it, it 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 takes on different forms, but it's kind of almost like a blending of the two different of of two different senses. So people are able to like hear colors, or in this case, the guy is able to taste words. And um, I actually had a roommate once who who could kind of feel colors in a weird way, and she told me that um, if there was ever two uh, kind of really starkly contrasting colors that were put kind of side by side. It was very uncomfortable for her. Like she couldn't actually stand to look at that for too long because um, she would actually like get kind of a really weird sort of feeling from it. Whereas harmonious colors, she'd have a much more soothing sort of feeling to it. So I don't know if it was, t- it was exactly synesthesia, but it, it sounded kind of similar to it. It's interesting because there's something to that. Uh, colors have uh, nanometer light frequencies associated with them, and those frequencies have harmonics the same way that musical notes do. Hmm. Um, which is why some colors work together and others don't. There's just some there's some theory around that as to the <clears throat> the visual harmonics of colors that it actually has a scientific basis in the the harmonics of the frequencies of the colors. So I wonder if these people would be more sensitive to that. So it would be like hearing a dissonant note on a piano, just mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. much more um, you know dramatic if it actually like makes you nauseous. Yeah. This woman that you knew, Doug, well, mm. they say that, you know, this kind of synesthesia can occur due to drug use or brain damage or sensory mm. deprivation or even hypnosis, and that it's more common in artists, poets, and writers. Was your friend fit any of that criteria? 
Yeah, n- not the drugs or the the weird, you know, she wasn't like a big uh, party or anything like that. But um, she was an artist, actually. A very good one, actually. She was. She actually was, was very talented. I shouldn't say was. She's still around. She's just no longer my roommate. But uh, yeah, no, she is a, a, an incredibly talented artist. So that when I read that, that it is kind of more common in artists, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes total sense. And I don't know if that's just because people kind of who have that, um, I don't know if you want to call it an ability or a dysfunction or what, how you describe it, but I wonder if it just like kind of leads to more kind of creativity. Like people kind of almost have this secondary awareness of colors or sounds or words or something. So they, they're able to kind of use that in a more creative way or if it, it it's just something completely unrelated and it just kind of happens to correlate more with artists. I wonder if it's people who have uh, their right hemisphere more dominant. Mm. If we believe the myth of left or right <laughs> dominance <laughs> in the brain. Yeah, well, says that um, maybe a, a way that it could have developed if it's not genetic is uh, that, uh, somehow they connected these things during childhood and that's just how they came to start making those connections and it kind of never left they said mm-hmm. that it's also seen in like idiot savants i hate to use the word idiots but mm-hmm. and it also helps with your memory like i guess if you can uh, see sounds or taste colors or words or something it'll help you remember things a lot better than the average person because it has that extra component to it Mm -hmm. yeah they were mentioned that one guy and i can't remember who he was but he he was some kind of mathematician or something who memorized pi to like two thousand digits and he attributed that because every number under ten thousand he said had a very distinctive I don't remember if it was shape or, or, or color or, or something. There was something very distinctive about it to him. So he was actually able to memorize, like, you know, pi to like 2,000 digits just because he kind of had this extra sensory component to it. It's a savant kid. Yeah. Uh, I think they made yeah. a documentary about him. And hmm. He can learn in a new language in six weeks or days. I don't know. <laughs> and, he prov- and they put him to the test by... Um, Invited him to Iceland so he can learn Icelandic. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yes, it is. It is him. Huh? Yeah, he learned that well, language in like three days or something ridiculous like that. Jeez, wow. Well, speaking of languages, this guy who can taste words like talks about kind of the characteristics of different languages and says that he finds French has kind of like a an eggy taste to it. Um, <laughs> And I think he said, yeah, he said it's like the crispy bits that kind of get burnt on an egg or like get kind of overcooked on an egg. That's what French tastes like. Whereas German has the taste of marmalade. And he said the Lord's Prayer tasted like bacon. (laughs) That's how he knew he was different. (laughs) Listening to the Lord's Prayer, bacon. It tastes like bacon. Bacon is like manna from heaven. (laughs) Yeah. Holy, holy bacon. It must be interesting. They they speak in this article of him suffering from this condition, and it makes me wonder about the the nature of of suffering. You know, like it's certainly <clears throat> I could see how it would be annoying. You know, in certain cases, the way he says um, he doesn't read novels because of the flowery prose, uh, because mm-hmm. the flavors are overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> the same with uh, 
tabloid newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, <clears throat> I wonder if there is a, an actual like value assignment to the things that taste bad for him. Like, is he, is he unwittingly avoiding things that have a negative uh, impact because to him they taste bad? Or is this like a random association in his brain? I guess yeah. I'm, I'm wondering on a, like on a meta kind of level, is he, is he tapped into an extra sense about sort of what is beneficial and what is not? Yeah, I was thinking along the same lines, like when he said that he can't stand reading the sun in the mirror. Um, like, is he picking up on like the emotional intent or uh, the attempts at propaganda or something that kind of tastes really funky to him? Mm. Well, he did say that, you know, one of, one of the things he said is that if he's thinking about going to a party, he finds out that somebody is going who, whose name has that kind of off, you know, sense to him, then he'll actually not go to the party because he doesn't want to be confronted by that terrible taste. (laughs) But he said that he's made mistakes in the past when dating because he would like, you know, you know, I guess, uh, you know, date women who had very nice names and he would later find out that that didn't really have any kind of objective, um, you know, uh, quality to, to the actual person that it was just a name. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, it seems, seems like it's more just, just the actual words itself and it doesn't, doesn't really bring across something else, but I might be wrong. I don't know if there's some objectivity, uh, about the words and its flavor in his brain, but he's submitting like thousands of words to the university, university college, London and Edinburgh university. They're making a database. Maybe it will correlate with somebody else who has the same yeah. brain condition. Yeah, and he said that, you know, the taste that he gets from certain words or names, it stays the same. It doesn't change over his lifetime. So they're kind of fixed in his brain. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there was some speculation by some researchers who have said that it has to do with um, kind of the connections in the brain and that they're not as well formed, I guess, as, as like they're not as distinct as maybe they could be, like as if there's kind of maybe like an overlap there or like the neurons maybe aren't, I'm just speculating here, but maybe like the, uh, the myelin sheath on the neurons isn't as, as structurally sound. So it's kind of like when a neuron fires, that's supposed to be for a word. It actually kind of leaks over into the, into the taste component. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they showed that uh, when this guy, uh, who can taste words, he did an MRI and the taste regions of his brain lit up when he was hearing certain words. And that usually doesn't happen with normal people. Yeah. So I, I like your theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write a paper. It is pretty fascinating. I mean, it's it's so much more complex than just, I mean, I guess wiring is an apt metaphor. Um but it's, you know, the brain is so much more complex than just uh, 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 wires, per se. Um, mm-hmm. So it must be something to do with the the impulses, like you said, uh, you know, crossing regions, uh, getting into different parts. Um, they follow a different path. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. It's something I would like to experience. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but I don't know. Temporarily, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the taste one seems a little bit more uh, disturbing. Maybe fun, you think? <laughs> it 
if you get introduced to somebody and they have a taste, a, a name that tastes like mud. Or like, they leave oh. a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, bum, yeah, but uh, I don't know. The one where it's like words that correlate with colors or like um, sounds or something like that, that, that sounds like it might be actually kind of cool. Yeah, that's like a lot of extraneous input that a lot of regular people don't have. I don't know how to be able to deal with that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of some cases of uh, autism where people who are autistic have, uh, you know, hypersensitivity to certain um, input. Mm. You know, they can't handle loud noises or they can't handle touch. And it's just this overwhelming sensation. It's it's almost like a form of that. Um, it is. But they are. They're like socially functioning. Mm-hmm. It is described that a lot of the cases of synesthesia, it's in autistic children. Mm. Mm. Well, that makes well, it's kind of interesting. Of... Go, Go ahead, Tiff. Well, I, was gonna <laughs> I think we're going to say the same thing. Think about that... Um... That disorder called misophonia, mm-hmm. where people can't stand sounds like this lady. She said she wears earplugs when she goes to Thanksgiving dinner with her parents. Like these trigger sounds will cause certain people stress, anger, or rage, violent rage. Mm-hmm. Like if they hear people like lip smacking or scraping their, <laughs> their fork across the plate or tapping and <laughs> typing. And just to clarify, this is just not a normal reaction. This is actually like <laughs> a notch beyond that, you know? Yeah. 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 These people are really bothered. Some, yeah. Well, they did some objective testing on them and they found that they were actually having full on like stress responses to this stuff. So it wasn't that they, it's not people who are just like a little hypersensitive to a sound and, and get annoyed by it. It's people who are actually like full on going into flight or fight mode because somebody's chewing too loudly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The funny thing about it was is they didn't find their own sounds annoying. Like if they chewed on a mm. crunchy piece of bacon, it didn't bother them. Mm-hmm. Or like a teacher <laughs> said that like her autistic students, you know, making noise in class didn't bother them. And it sounds like it's kind of connected to the family dynamic. Like if you have a lot of anger towards whatever person is making that sound, it can kind of make you go off. Sure. Yeah, it made me wonder if maybe... There is an emotional component to it, and it might just be that they're kind of, you know, suppressing uh, like a stronger emotional thing. Like they don't want to deal with the actual issues, so it ends up just coming out in these sort of passive-aggressive kind of ways. Like I can't stand the way you chew, or I can't stand that you're clicking a pen right now, or something like that. Like they, <laughs> they just maybe aren't aren't connected enough with their emotions to actually be in touch with what's really bothering them. So it's just like all these little passive aggressive things start coming out because it does say from, from in the article, it does say that it's very selective and it seems to happen with only certain people or like, you know, particularly family. The awful so. thing would be if there would be no emo- emotional connection. <laughs> yeah. And the condition is still manifest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to know more about that lady's family dynamics because it seems like she kind of hates her parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> she she was what six years old. Yeah, she was diagnosed, or and she said that at Thanksgiving dinner she'll often sit there with earplugs in, and then she can't hear what anybody's saying, <laughs> so she just eats up and leaves, goes into the other room and waits. It's like maybe the whole behavior is just so she can get away. Maybe you shouldn't go to Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So there's another interesting variant of, uh, it's technically not a variant of synesthesia, but I think it's in the similar vein, uh, Anton syndrome. Mm. Mm. Uh, talking about the, uh, characterized by the denial of blindness. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's people who, uh, uh, by, by all evidence, can't see what's in front of them, but they do see things. Um, mm. And not just shapes or colors, but in fact, the entirely different reality. They made it up. Be. They make it up, right? Like, yeah. It's very rich, but it's all like fantasy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, what's in the room with you? And then they just describe some scene that is completely not at all what is there. But they yeah. would never actually admit to the fact that they're they're actually blind. Yeah, and like people don't really find out until they see them falling over things. But one would yeah. hope, like, since they're confabulating this sighted world, like, they have sense enough to not get behind the wheel of a car and start oh driving. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? But that one, yeah, I think uh, this guy had had strokes, and it yeah. affected mm-hmm. his visual cortex. Um, some of these disorders can come as a result of you know, a head injury or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's interesting, that article by Anton Syndrome. It goes into a lot of different types of disorders, all kind of dealing with the visual pathway in some way. So some people might be able to see an object but not be able to describe it to you or tell you what it is. And other people are kind of almost the opposite. It's like they can't really see what's in front of them, but uh, they could describe, you know, um, maybe if you said, you know, if there's like a, a toy elephant sitting in the front of them, they could say, you know, what is that? And it would be able to tell you what it is. But then they say, can you describe an elephant? And they can describe it fine. But they're staring right at it and can't actually recognize it. Mm-hmm. There's other ones where it's like we, can, we seem to have a very specific part of the brain that's um, used for recognizing faces. And they actually uh, did a study at one point where um, they showed uh, encountering neurons in the brain that exclusively responded to pictures of Jennifer Aniston's face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's taking up space in your brain right now. Oh, just no. so you know, <laughs> you have a part of your brain that only responds to Jennifer Aniston's face. We and they have- would show other familiar things like animals or other people or landmarks or something like that in the brain. It wouldn't respond. But it does to Jennifer Aniston's face. Oh, God, that's creepy. I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> it's taking up space. Yeah, the face blindness thing is pretty interesting. I have a, the opposite, sort of like, I have a really, really hard time remembering people's names. And for years have kind of wondered, you know, is that my own narcissism? Because I just don't care what people's names are. Consciously. <laughs> uh, so um but I can remember faces uh, mm-hmm. really well, and but I just have a hard time associating them with names. So I'll see somebody I haven't seen for 15 years, and like I know I know that person. I've seen them before. Mm. Um, so I kind of have the the hyper facial recognition, but uh, have a hard time associating that. And that can be really embarrassing. <laughs> you try yeah. to get them yeah. to say their name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I've suffered from, I suffer from the same thing, actually. And I think it actually, it, what it usually manifests in me is that if uh, it's when I first meet a person, it's like 30 seconds after they've been introduced to me, I'm kind of like, their name is just not there. It's not in my brain. And I think it has more, it has to do with like maybe like a certain amount of social anxiety when meeting somebody new or something like that. So I'm kind of preoccupied. 
So it's like the name goes in one ear and out the other, and it's just kind of like, oh, man, they just told me their name, and I don't remember. It helps if you say their name right after they say their name. <laughs> that does help, yeah. If I remember to do that, that does help, yeah. That happens to me, too, and especially when you're introducing someone to another person and you don't know their name. <laughs> That's the worst. This is, yeah. this is Doug, and this is... <laughs> I mean, maybe that you just say, guy. what's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was depending on the day you just admit it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's another interesting um, visual or um, associated one that's called oculomo- oculomotor apraxia. And apparently that is um, people who have the reduced ability to voluntarily shift their gaze away from wherever they happen to be looking. So it's like... <laughs> It's like they're they're creepy they're just stare kind of syndrome. <laughs> creepy stare <laughs> syndrome, exactly. That would be terrible. Next time, if you catch somebody looking at you intently, don't judge. <laughs> don't judge. Do you that have reminds- ocular motor apraxia, or are you just creepy? That reminds <laughs> me of that weird creepy stare that Hillary had, and she was giving a speech somewhere, standing behind oh, the podium. No. She was just staring <laughs> off into the audience. And then her handler came by and said, it's okay, it's okay, keep talking, keep talking. And she had like, that really... She's like, it's okay. Yeah, that really creepy stare on her face. Weird. I have known a couple people who um, don't look at you uh, when they're talking. They kind of look mm-hmm. over your shoulder. Oh, yeah, that's autism. That's yeah, that's, that's <laughs> autism yeah. spectrum stuff, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's a weird one for sure. I notice that happens so, a lot with children, and I think it's almost uh, the time period or where you have mm-hmm. to. I even would take my two fingers and point at their eyes, and then point at my eyes, and here, right here, right here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is a it is on the spectrum of autism, but I think it's also. A, a shutting down, maybe. Uh, mm. Maybe for adults, it's just too much stimulation. Yeah, you don't want to see. Well, one of our chatters said it can also be a cultural thing. I know there are certain cultures where it's kind of a sign mm. of disrespect to look somebody in the face mm-hmm. when they're yeah. talking. Yeah. Apparently, there's a difference between men and women, too. That... <clears throat> What is it? I think men will look at the person who's speaking to them, but look away when they're listening. And for women, it's the opposite. I might have that backwards, actually. But um, apparently, there is there is a difference there. That might be cultural as well, though. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tease out what is inborn in somebody and what they learn through their culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know having yeah. grown up in a city, it was kind of uh, ingrained at a pretty young age that you don't make eye contact with people when you're walking down the streets. Right. And then when I moved to Hawaii, it was very different. Everyone makes eye contact, and it's a sign of disrespect, not to, especially elders, mm-hmm. to look at them in the eye and acknowledge them so they can basically yeah. peer into your soul. But I think that's um, that is a cultural thing to a certain extent, um, and I, I find that it depends on the size of the city or town that you're in. Mm-hmm. From my from my experience, small towns people tend to be much more open and will say hello to each other when passing. Whereas in a big city, I mean, just for practical reasons, you can't do that if you're passing like 300 people on your way to work. 
but um yeah i i've noticed that that in smaller areas there's it's it's much more um you know culturally appropriate to say hello yeah yeah you know everybody in a small town mm -hmm. you know everybody so you have to look at people and say hello oh <laughs> it's, an <laughs> it's an obligation sometimes in a small town you purposely avoid eye contact <laughs> because you don't want to be drawn yeah. into some five-hour discussion <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, things that we have experienced uh, when we were talking before the show about uh, exploding head syndrome, <laughs> I thought that was an interesting one because that's something that I identify with, and I, I never thought of it as a, a syndrome, uh, but uh, it's it's a weird thing when you're falling asleep uh, or when, you, when you're sleeping, you get a, um, a, a large or a loud noise in your ears, kind of like an explosion, but not really um and then like for me i get a flash of light too and it, it hasn't actually happened to me in almost a couple of years since you went quite a while where as i was yeah. falling asleep yeah right that may be an association um <clears throat> but i'd be falling asleep and it would hear like a like electric shock sound in my ears hmm. and see a flash of light mm. um sometimes Jeez. it would be a company like a physical jolt as well. Mm -hmm. Were you sleeping near any outlets? Uh, you know, probably, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it, so system overload, Jonathan? <laughs> it may have been a combination of like diet and, uh, you know, uh, electromagnetic stimulation of some sort, but it is, it's, it's like getting shocked when you're trying to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Yeah, the name for that one is kind of misleading. Your head doesn't actually <laughs> explode. <laughs> it's yeah. just an explosion yes. of noise. But it is something so. very weird. Like, I never heard it before until now. So I wonder if it's uh, electromagnetic toxicity and all this stuff. It's contributing. Or people having less grounding activities. Mm. Uh, like, you know, grounding, earthing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it well, could be like... A, be on the spectrum of epilepsy, maybe in a way. Hmm. Sure. Or migraine spectrum as well. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's not uncommon yeah, like for that, me to see I, flashes of light when I'm kind of as I'm falling asleep or something like that. I'll see as if somebody just turned on the light really quickly in the room. But um, it happens once in a while. But it, it's it's not really like it doesn't sound as disturbing as like exploding head syndrome. It's just kind of like <laughs> oh, there's some flashing lights. Maybe it's exploding brain yep. cell syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I said, I've never had pain, never had pain associated with it, um, which is kind of strange too. It's just uh, so I think that it's probably a good um, hypothesis that it has something to do with electromagnetic pollution and um, grounding. Mm. You know, you're not grounded; you build up a charge, and then it just goes off somewhere in your head. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's related to the whole idea of tinnitus, where uh, mm -hmm. the ringing in the ears in certain, I mean, I know that could be definitely connected to electromagnetic syndrome, too, of just being over too much electrostatic in mm -hmm. the environment. Mm. Or I don't know if you I guys have had the experience where you're talking about someone and then the ear rings really loudly and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you run into them or they call or. Mm -hmm. 
And then you say, oh, your ears must have been burning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, on to some of these other things. Kind of like also we were talking before the show about like uh, some of the potential ramifications of these weird conditions. Like we have... um, a, a child in India who was born with uh, 34 fingers and toes, uh, another child who was born with a, a tail, um, somebody who was born with uh, eight limbs, um, those kind of things. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the implications of those aside from the standard like statistical outlier. So uh what I had said as we were talking before the show was, uh, how do we present this? And I think we, we don't really have a good way to present this, but what, what occurs to me, the idea that comes to mind is the um, there's this concept that there was some sort of Edenic state of, of humanity, whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, you know, the idea that there was some sort of like uh, pre, you know, pre-modern state of humanity where <clears throat> things were overall better. There was less disease. Um, you know, people were healthier. Generally, they lived longer. Uh, <clears throat> sort of a natural state in the world, and uh, um, like I don't want to get into like the religious implications of that. What I'm curious about is uh, the idea of the statistical outliers that we see here, mutations that are born. You know, could that be traced down directly to um, genetic abnormalities that come from industrial? pollutants, uh, environmental toxins, things like that, um, just crossed, crossed wires in genetics when, when the fetus is forming. Uh, could there also be some sort of like a, a karmic uh, implication? Um, mm. You know, perhaps you're brought back with, uh, with some sort of, you know, energetic malady when you reincarnate. You know, I don't know. Um, that's why I'm saying it's not very clear. And I, I have this idea in my head about how to present that concept, but I'm, I'm not very clear on it. So just to be honest that it's, I'm, I'm spitballing <laughs> theory. Well, that makes well, it's me all think, really interesting. It Go ahead. Me think of the morphogenic field. One of our chatters just put that up too. Like humans have like this energetic field of what their body is supposed to look like. And sometimes things can go wrong. Like, say you're born with a tail or, you know, extra digits or something, does your morphogenic template show those extra digits or tail or anything? Or mm-hmm. is your morphogenic template like still in the shape of a quote unquote normal human body? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that this, morphog- oh, go on, Gabby. I was going to speculate if the morphogenetic field in India is <laughs> <could it> resonate <laughs> to those goddesses or because it is, they have some really weird cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and with the boy that was born with that tail, they believed he was the reincarnated God of Hanuman, the monkey God. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he was kind of worshiped as this amazing thing. And he's really proud of his tail and he shows it to people. And, uh, you know, the, he lives with his grandfather and his uncles, and they said when he spoke for the first time at the age of one, he spoke all the names of the different gods and different religions, 
And so, <laughs> you know, if he was born in America, it might be very different. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm. it's so interesting that a lot of these cases took place in India where they have very strong belief in karma and reincarnation and they have all these multi-limbed gods and things like that. But they also, like a lot of these cases, they live in very, very extreme poverty. I'm wondering if, like, malnutrition or poor sanitation can, like, make epigenetic changes and cause these Mm. deformations. Mm. Could be. Could be. But I wonder they will have the same level of toxicity than, say, China, some regions of China. Mm. I don't know. Or Africa. And it might actually be a good thing that these cases take place in India since they have such strong traditions of karma and multi-limbed gods. Therefore, Mm. they will be more accepted and less likely to be like, like in certain cultures, like if a child is born deformed, they'll just leave it to die. Mm -hmm. In a lot of other cases, like if there's some kind of genetic abnormality, the mother will miscarry before the baby's even Mm. born. Yeah, well, it's interesting about this boy is that his home was converted into a temple and devotees would come to visit him to receive blessings and to touch his tail. And he said, even if the doctors removed my tail, uh, people will continue to believe in me. Yeah, it's uh, because the kid, he actually needs to be moved around in a wheelchair. Because uh, he he either it wasn't totally clear in the article he either has a related condition or or an unrelated condition that that makes him kind of sick and he has to move around in a wheelchair or it might actually be that the tail is is interfering with his walking. Well, maybe it's some sort of like uh, spina bifida, you know? Yeah, maybe that's his spine cord. It's the tail. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I think. Well, yeah, I'm not familiar with the case, but if he's you know if he cannot walk with his own legs. It's got to be related with his spinal cord. Yeah. And I don't think they said in the article what the tail actually consisted of. Like, was it spinal fluid in there or was it bone? Bone Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, it's interesting, too, that um, in some ancient cultures, whenever something like this would happen, like a, a child was born deformed in some way or even like an animal was born deformed in some way, they would actually consider it a portent. It was kind of like a sign, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't know, I guess maybe they had some kind of complex system for how to interpret these sorts of signs. But um, I think in a lot of times it would be kind of considered a bad sign. You know, <laughs> you had a goat born with two heads or something like that. It means like, you know, stuff's but really going down. That brings us to history because, you know, that this is described for, you know, all through the all throughout the ages. And one one will think that in the past... There was not so much toxicity as we do now mm. in the 21st century. Yeah. I was curious about that too because it's, oh, just on the face of it, I would think, okay, it's environmental toxins causing different forms of genetic mutation. But <clears throat> like you said, it's happened for many years uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, and it happened before there was any industrial pollution, uh, mm. you know, before the industrial era at all. So. I think some of the modern cases would probably be a result of that, um, but it, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's certainly not that simple. And in the past, it correlated with earth changes. So, yeah. who knows what the environment it's doing to our genes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Well, that makes me think of twins, too. Like in some ancient cultures, twins were a bad omen. And they, you know, would, like, kill the twin, maybe. But then you think of conjoined <laughs> twins, and there was a really interesting article on site about these twin girls from British Columbia who were joined at the head. Uh, they were mm-hmm. toddlers at the time that this article came out. And uh, doctors examined them, and uh, they were kind of, con- they had a thalamic bridge, like their thalamuses were connected through some some kind of tissue. Mm-hmm. And what one experienced, the other experienced, like if one would take mm-hmm. a, a drink, the other would taste it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Weird. Yes, and there is no point of reference. They really wanted to study these badly, but, you know, at the end, it was like, okay, let's just leave them alone, they're babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if one one was looking at something, the other one could see what it was. It was really strange. Yeah, the medical term is craniopagus. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they say there's a one in 2.5 million and only a fraction survive. And what was neat about this article was that the parents didn't really make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. They just kind of went through their day-to-day, and they uh, they did say that, you know, each day that they wake up and find them alive, it, it's, a, it's a good day because it's such mm-hmm. an... What was interesting about that, too, is that the mother was going through a rough time around the time that the twins were born and she said she always like wanted to be different and it's just the whole family dynamic was kind of off a little bit from what I was reading in the article so I don't know is it could it be that sometimes if deformities occur it can be like a reflection of a deformed or skewed environment or something yeah and she has five other children or five children yeah in total She had psychic impressions, right? Um, yeah, that uh, the day before she gave birth, she had a dream of the girls, you know, crying, and she knew that they were going to survive, like the, you know, that they're going to be fine. Hmm. And the next day, she gave birth. Well, it's all pretty fascinating. I mean, it's. Uh... Yeah, I guess it's what happens when you have, when you consider humanity as this giant regenerating soup of genetic material, you know, that, that there are going to be um, cases where things go wrong, uh, but I'm not sure if wrong is the right word. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody has uh, 15 fingers as opposed to 10, you know, is that, is that necessarily wrong if it's not causing them to suffer? We just think it's weird because it's not normal. Yeah, that that's where sense. I. Uh, I was just going to say that's that's where I get uh, kind of locked up with the uh, assigning the word uh, abnormality to it. I guess abnormality is more accurate, but saying it's a dysfunction or a disorder mm. of some kind, um, it makes me curious. But I guess I would consider something a dysfunction if it causes the person suffering. Uh, you know, in their life, um, you know, pain or immobility or things like that. Uh, but if it's just something that doesn't look normal to us, um, it doesn't track to me as something that's necessarily wrong with them. 
Yeah, like a guy with 15 fingers could probably type really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, that kind of makes me think, like, when someone is born and their template or whatever or soul gets put into their body, maybe something a little extra comes along or sometimes <laughs> things that should be there is not theirs. Like uh, if you read about like alien abductions or things like that, where they T-darm somebody like trans dimensional remolecularization <laughs> or something. So they get taken and then they get put back. But when they get put back, oh. things are kind of out of place. <laughs> like Star Trek movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All very strange. We can only but, speculate. Yeah, it's surprising that, you know, not just this particular, you know, toddlers that we're, we're talking about, but lots of other conjoined twins. Like, it's surprising that a lot of them survive as long as they do. I think I read somewhere that the oldest person was like, or the two persons were like 50 plus years old. But some some people who are conjoined, like, they just can't take it. And eventually they say, you know, we have to do surgery to separate ourselves. And the surgery sometimes goes bad and they end up dying. But mm. I'm surprised yeah, that they, because... they survive so long. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. sometimes one twin's body parts, like their hearts, are doing most of the pumping mm -hmm. or their kidney is doing most of the filtering. And it can be a real strain. Mm on at least one of the twins. Mm -hmm. hmm. Kind of sad. Yeah. It is. It's something like, uh, also looking at this, this other case that we had here in our notes, the, uh, the tree men. Oh yeah. Um, listeners might be familiar with that. Uh, it was on, uh, the discovery channel. Uh, and I've seen a few articles about this guy over the years, but, um, yeah, he's a very weird, uh, condition where, uh, his skin basically took on the texture of wood and mm -hmm. began to grow, uh, root like structures out of his hands and his feet and his feet. Yeah. Um, and that's, it almost that's looks one. like tree bark. It does. Or like yeah. roots or something. Yeah. And that's one where I think, I mean, they say in the article about him that, uh, you know, he was fired from his job. Uh, he was deserted by his wife. He lived in poverty. He was forced uh, essentially to um, get into being part of like a freak show mm -hmm. uh, in order to make money, um, you know. And that's something I would consider that would, that would be causing him suffering in his life, uh, aside from the obvious uh, inability to use his, his hands in an effective yeah. way. Yeah. He pr apparently got ridiculed quite badly too. Like people yeah. would uh, bully him and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a pretty tragic case. Apparently um, there was a, uh, a doctor of some, port, uh, some sort from the West who actually was investigating his case and found that actually the, uh, the growths were actually warts. So they're kind of just warts that have gone crazy um, because his immune system was so deficient that he wasn't actually able to to fight it off. So most people, I guess, who get warts, the, the body contains it to a certain degree, mm -hmm. is able to kind of just like section it off and keep it isolated to this one place. 
Whereas this guy was just completely unable to do that. His body did not, like the doctor said, when he first, uh, you know, looked at his blood tests, he thought he might have AIDS mm. because his, he was so immune deficient, but he didn't. Mm. So that was, um, or actually was it, it was, was it HPV? Uh, yeah, yes, it was, it was HPV. Um, yeah. HPV. Yeah. But I found that so curious because there are so many people with immune deficiencies, genetic or acquired. They don't get this. Yeah. At least to the extent he did. Yeah. It's very strange. And it's also a pretty tragic case. I was looking because the article that we looked up was talking, actually talking about uh, how they might be close to a cure for it by giving him um, a synthetic vitamin A um, of some sort. So I wanted to, you know, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any like after pictures, if that actually worked out to be a good cure or something. And it turns out he's actually died. Died a couple of years ago of uh, liver complications, apparently. So whether that was from the condition or from the cure, who knows? Along the, along the lines of the, uh, the stone man, there's another person, a 17-year-old girl uh, who has quote-unquote stone man syndrome um, but they have a there there's a weird uh, aspect to this case um, where apparently she is growing a second skeleton mm. uh, mm-hmm. and that one is, is pretty bizarre I think it's it looks like another case of uh, you know uh, cell division basically gone wild mm-hmm. sort of along the lines of uh, cancer but it's not cancer it's something entirely different yeah it's yeah. called fibrodysplasia ossificans progressive and it turns your muscles tendons and ligaments into bones and they say it starts at the neck and the shoulders and then it spreads throughout the whole body like that girl in the article that 17 year old girl she said she couldn't even lift her hands like above her her waist yeah and like every time she falls down or bumps herself, it starts this growth in bone. And if you try surgery, it doesn't help because it just makes the bone grow faster. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like almost the body's repair mechanism mm-hmm. is, is off in some way. Like when your body's trying to repair like muscle tissue or skin or tendon or something like that, instead of repairing it with the cells that it's supposed to, it repairs it with bone cell. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every, anytime there's any kind of injury or anything like that, then you know they start growing bone in that place instead of instead of the regular cells. So it's kind of, it's really tragic. Yeah, like uh, one of our chatters asked if it could be a stem cell malfunction. Like maybe their mm-hmm. their cells their stem cells. You know how they kind of differentiate, and one becomes like a heart cell, one becomes a kidney cell, or something. Maybe too many of their stem cells are programmed to become bone, and it just. Mm-hmm grows out of control. Yeah. There was uh, somebody was suggesting some treatment. Yeah. They were studying the mechanism of the disease and they were suggesting some treatment even though there are so few people in the world with this. Yes, I think uh, it's a good investment. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard yeah. to come up with a treatment if you don't really know what it is you're dealing with. Like how can you treat something you don't know what it is? Well, some the treatment was um, along the lines of uh, genetic testing. Hmm. Apparently, something called the ACVR1 gene, it, it, it's some kind of malfunction with that. So they've got um, 
well, it's, it's only theorized right now, but the idea is that they can they can do something to kind of uh, um, turn it. off that gene or block it in some way or something to to try and deal with it. Yeah, but a lot of times one gene doesn't just affect one function, so it would be interesting to see what would happen if they actually did that and what else it would affect in their bodies. Yeah, that's true. They might there's not a be very simplistic understanding of how we, you know, make scar tissue and how mm-hmm. this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's an interesting comment on that article uh, on site. <clears throat> One of the commenters says that the interesting part of the article uh, is when they describe her getting steroid treatments for uh, a neck issue, uh, and she was diagnosed with FOP after the steroid treatments. Uh, and I would be curious as well, uh, as this commenter said, if that uh, had anything to do yeah. with it. You know, perhaps it was latent, um, and the the steroids kicked off a process that just needed that to get going. Mm. You know, or maybe she was having issues, and then she got the steroids to to you know as a treatment for pain. That could mm-hmm. be too, because you know, it's very yeah. frequent. <clears throat> Yeah, but you know, then the you know the steroids are generally used as anti-inflammatories, right? And mm-hmm. inflammation is is the body's natural response to uh, injury or insult. And so, perhaps in this specific case, if the inflammation, the inflammatory response was turned off, then it mm-hmm. switched over, and that's where the 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 um, the crossed wires, so to speak, uh, took mm-hmm. up the regrowing of the bone instead of the normal inflammatory response. Yeah, maybe could be. could be. One trigger. Yeah. It is so it is so weird that it's like, you know, wow. <laughs> it's like we can only speculate, but yes. Totally. It is unbelievable yeah. that something like this will exist. Yeah. And it's actually not very surprising that there's really no effective treatments or cures for this. I mean there's not a lot of effective treatments or cures for typical ailments <laughs> that people have, let alone these ones that are just really out of the bounds of what you would even think of imagining. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, well, there's another one. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, John. I was going to say change the subject. So if you were on the same subject, then. No, I'm, I'm fine. Go ahead, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just going to bring up uh, maybe a little bit lighter. Well, I guess not for people who are actually suffering from it, but they, I w- we were reading one about uh, something called referred to as Truman syndrome. Oh. <laughs> and it's kind of uh, considered a modern, um, a modern uh, mental ailment, I guess. And it's actually named after the movie, the Truman show from 1998, where they had basically built this entire, you know, town, um, and put a person in it who wasn't aware that they weren't actually in the outside world and kind of just kept cameras on them in secret 24-7. And uh, that, it was a show like called The Truman Show. Um, and basically this, this disorder is that people kind of feel that. Like they feel as if they are the center of some sort of show that everybody is in on and everybody they're speaking to is an actor. And um, they even said that one guy actually showed up at a government building of some kind and said that he wanted out of his show. He didn't want to be on it anymore. And um, <laughs> there was another, they, they described a couple of related things too. Apparently there was a woman in Austria who believed that she had become a walking webcam. 
so that everything that she was looking at and doing was being recorded mm-hmm. and broadcast on the internet. Are these people crazy, or are they recovering the sanity? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was wondering that, that too. Like, I would be interested to know more about their psychological background. Like, are they suffering from some diagnosed mental disorder because delusions of persecution or like Paranoia. broadcasting? Yeah. That can be a sign of schizophrenia, but I was wondering, like, how mm-hmm. do these people function in their day-to-day lives? Is, are they able to get along, or, you know, what's going on there? It just must yeah. be, like, extreme paranoia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Not I was that... wondering the same thing. It sounds like paranoid schizophrenia, but, um, you know, in this article specifically, they don't mention the other symptoms, um, mm-hmm. you know, are these people having uh, hallucinations? Uh, are they are plagued by this to the point where they can't absolutely can't function, or is this just like an idea that they have? Uh, yeah, in that case, could it be like low level paranoia? I, uh-huh. You know, that just kind of yeah. is, is fueled and guided by the state of the world and, and the amount of media and surveillance that we have. Well, they speculated on that in the article, actually, and like some people were saying, oh, it's just you know this kind of reality tv type you know society that we live in right now where you know we've got youtube and facebook and like people are constantly exposed it's just kind of like a sort of a pathological extension of that um and it's kind of like people just like you know put their fantasies it kind of just becomes reality so that they are the absolute center of this universe but they talk about some people who have actually committed suicide um because they can't deal with this so it kind of it, it's kind of like you know you could look at it as just extreme narcissism on one hand. It's like I'm the center of the universe and everybody's watching a TV show about me. But then if you've got people who are, are kind of like put over the edge so much by it that they're committing suicide, I mean obviously that that's that's something different going on there. I would think, mm. or a combination of the two, like some sort of psychotic breakdown mm. mixed with narcissism, you know, triggered by the social media. Well, it kind of made me think a little bit about the whole flat earther thing too. I mean, these flat earthers basically think that, you know, we're the, the, the world is entirely constructed. Everything is false. You know, well, there is no, you know, our planet is not round. The sun does not circulate around it. That's all a lie perpetrated by whoever the powers that be. And we basically live in this closed environment that um, is not a, a circular planet. It's just a spherical planet. It's just, it's entirely, like, reality is entirely constructed. And it seems like it's not a huge step away from that to think that, you know, oh, everybody I encounter is an actor. Every, you know, everything is all constructed specifically for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, so they're basically saying no one else exists but them. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, the, yeah, it is interesting. There's There's variations in that world. There are some some people who think that it's like just an interesting idea um, all the way to people who are completely and utterly convinced that that is reality and, and cannot be argued mm. with, you know? So I think it's like there are um, scales of involvement, I guess there, but it, it, it's an interesting idea to consider that it might be um, like you said, uh, and like they speculate in the article, it's a, or it could be a, uh, uh, an outflowing, uh, a result of our saturation uh, with these concepts in media. Um, mm. But you know, it's uh, 
I'm not subscribing to the flat earth theory. What I'm saying is... Uh, the world, the world is a really weird place. And there was a comedian who said this once and resonated with me that like, I could, I could wake up in a psych ward somewhere and this whole thing is <laughs> fake. You know, it's like, it, uh, I think that that's an interesting concept. However, to take it a step further and let that run and control your entire life to the point where you can't function socially, it becomes mm-hmm. a problem. So there's a difference between thinking that it's an interesting concept and allowing it to become a problem in your life. <laughs> Should we be worried about you, Jonathan? (laughs) (laughs) Until I wake up in a psych ward. (laughs) And they name a syndrome after you, Jonathan. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's another weird Uh, one called uh, Cotard's Delusion. is where uh, people believe that they're missing body parts like their brains or that they're actually dead. Sometimes (laughs) called like walking zombie syndrome. Uh, people like to spend a lot of time in cemeteries because they want to be among their own kind. They tend not to eat or to bathe. That sounds very morbid. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a very extreme, extreme example of being detached from your own body. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's really weird. Like, like, you know, couldn't they just do a couple of tests to check and see if they're dead <laughs> like their pulse, check your pulse. <laughs> see if you're breathing like put a mirror under your nose to see if you're breathing i wonder if that like if that's some sort of a, a psychiatric delusion to put it simply mm-hmm. uh, i almost wonder if um if showing them the results of a test to say here this proves that you're alive would cause like a psychotic break of some mm-hmm. kind mm. or maybe just putting them in front of a mirror and <laughs> move their arms. <laughs> well, isn't the fact that you're actually interacting with them <laughs> kind of a, a hint? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, the psychiatric realm of, you know, conditions and maladies is a whole other ball of wax. I mean, uh, it's fascinating and completely plastic uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's like you can, there are so many, probably tens of thousands or more variations of, of, uh, psychiatric deviations from what we consider the norm. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think some pretty weird things, you know, so I could probably be diagnosed with like five different maladies right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm you're just begging for the men men in white coats to come for you, John. I know. I'm able to, I'm able to function though. So that, (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's how I tell myself that I'm okay. <laughs> but from all anyway. the weird diseases, what you have not had is spontaneous combustion. <laughs> yes. Yet. It's never happened. Yet. Right. Do we want to play that clip? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a couple of minutes. Okay. Frank Baker is a decorated Vietnam War veteran. He has two Purple Hearts and a gallantry medal. But his closest brush with death was not on any battlefield. He was right here in Vermont. This is the first time he's spoken about the horrific events of June 1995. 
Well, we were getting ready for fishing. We were sitting on the couch the day before the derby. Everything was great. Pete was sitting next to me. We were having one hell of a time. And uh, all of a sudden... It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Frank was freaking out and making me freak out. I I was in sheer panic. All they could do was try to fight it. I was petrified. I had no idea what, what, what was taking place with my body. None. Eventually, Pete and Frank managed to extinguish the flames and get Frank to a doctor. For Frank, this was only the beginning, and the medical profession were no help. The doctor was completely baffled, and he said, looking at it, Frank, this burned from the inside out. And he said, I've never, ever seen anything like this. Yet Frank was nowhere near any source of heat or flame. It wasn't smoking, there were no flames around, there was no lights on, no microwaves. All that was coming in was the sun from the far end of the house when this happened. Frank Baker appears to fit all the criteria for survival of partial spontaneous human combustion. And he's had to deal with it. He's had to come to terms with something that was said to be impossible, something that could not happen. Well, that was weird. <laughs> weird. <laughs> because it did not, it was not only human, uh, spontaneous human combustion, but he was also a survivor. So, yeah, most of most them don't die. survive. Yeah, they burn up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really weird phenomenon. It's uh, the fact that it, that people seem to be burning from the inside out. And most often, it seems that the entire body gets consumed by flames, just becomes ash, except for the legs. For some reason, the legs seem to survive. And there's rarely any damage to anything outside of the body. Like even like somebody who is sitting next to a newspaper or something like that, it doesn't catch fire either. Mm. It's pretty crazy. Do they have burns and- as a result? Well, the, the ones who survive. The whole body, <laughs> yeah. the ones it's who like die. the whole body disappears. Yeah. And you need like a uh, fire of over a thousand degrees Celsius in order to burn uh, bones, sunder them. Mm. And it's, uh, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like there's even cases where um, people's clothing. Um, I, I remember reading one case where they came across a guy who had, who had died, but... I guess they caught it before it consumed his entire body and they could see there was like basically a hole in his abdomen where there was this fire going and his clothes were very minimally burned. Um, and they had a lot of trouble putting it out with fire extinguishers. Like they, they had to try for a long time to get it to, to go out. It's just so bizarre. Well, one thing about that case that makes me wonder, and I'm totally speculating here, is that he was in Vietnam. I mean, maybe he was exposed to some sort of weird biological weapon, or who knows? Yeah, but this has been noted for a long time, like like in the 1400s. I think there was this case of this Danish doctor who talked about some guy who lived in Milan who 
spontaneously combusted after wine drink. And on a lot of like different uh, cases that I've read, people have consumed alcohol. And there was this guy who tried to, you know, set rats on fire, get rats drunk and then yeah. set them on fire. And it kind of wouldn't work. <laughs> but then he tried uh, using acetone and that worked. And the funny mention was that they mentioned like the, being in a state of ketosis and it produces acetone. So if you're in ketosis, no. you might have a higher chance of spontaneously combusting. I think that is just wild speculation. They want to know badly why it happens. And I think, yes, we can come up with a lot of biochemical reasons, yeah. but we're still missing the ignition point. This yeah. shouldn't happen. Like uh, I saw a documentary on Discovery Channel. And they were speculating that it was an excess of phosphorus, but it was a derivative, uh, uh, yes, a derivative of phosphorus, phosphane, which is highly flammable if it's dephosphane. And they were speculating that maybe a bacteria or a microbe can um, create the dephosphate in your body fast enough in order to start the ignition in your stomach. Hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard of a lot of people in ketosis spontaneously combusting. <laughs> Although it kind of bring new meaning to the word burning ketones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or a fat burner. Yeah, you do wonder like what it is that sets it off some kind of electrical phenomenon, but you look at people who've been struck by lightning and they don't, you know, spontaneously <laughs> all their tissues. And I mean it's lightning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it, it doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, so many of these disorders, I mean, nobody knows what's going on with them. Nobody has a treatment. Nobody has a cure. They're just weird phenomenon. Mm. Like the werewolf disorder? Yeah. People, certain people seem to spontaneously, well, maybe not spontaneously, I guess, since they were born, just start growing hair, like, all over themselves. Yeah, There's actually was... a group of, um, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say there's a group of uh, sisters called the Sangli sisters, um, again, in India, yeah. um, where they're kind of like all three of them. I, I think there's six children in the in the family and only three of them have the, the condition. Um, but they they just grow, you know, hair all over their face, all over their body. They look <laughs> like werewolves, essentially. And uh, it's not super uncommon either. I don't remember, like, I think it was... Yeah, I don't. I don't remember exactly uh, how how prevalent it is in the population, but it's not entirely unheard of. Yeah, well, those sisters that you were talking about, their father had the same disorder, so they inherited it from him. Yeah, and sadly enough, yeah. their mother was forced to marry this guy, <laughs> and uh, they had. And these after the three first child, they had, the, they had the next one and the next one. Uh, okay. It's like uh, I was. Saying to Gabby before the show, I think, I, you know, looking at this disorder and some of the other ones, which obviously have some sort of genetic component, I think that I would probably stop having children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe if I had one child who had this kind of rare condition and then had another, I'd be like, you know what, maybe it's time to put the brakes on. But in a lot of these cases, you know, there's the other one, too, where the, the there's a 13-year-old girl who basically looks like she's 50. Mm -hmm. um, she has some kind of disorder where um, the fat... 
Yeah, yeah. There's no uh, fat in the face. Yeah, it all kind of disappears. You know, it, it goes away, so you just kind of have this sagging skin, and it makes you look like you're much more age, aged than you actually are. And the mother has it, and her she she had like two kids before this particular kid who both had it as well, although to a much less degree. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, if I had one kid and they had this condition, I think I'd be like, you know what, no more kids. I don't want to, you know, put them through this kind of suffering. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, well, she had it herself. I mean, she should know what she suffered with. Why would she have children yeah. in the first place? I agree. I mean, there's a certain level of practicality there where it's like, you know what, I, maybe I'm going to take this particular one out of the gene pool. Mm-hmm. But again, this was another family that was living in poverty, like uh, the people in India and like the conjoined twins that were from British Columbia. They were all living in poverty, too. You don't hear of many rich people suffering from these ailments. Maybe mm-hmm. they just keep it a secret. Yeah. yeah. But um, elephantiasis, that one is certainly strange and disfiguring, but... It does have at least a medical basis where their lymphatic system does not uh, work as it should, and they get all this buildup of fluid, and they have these gigantically huge limbs or testicles. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they've, they've tracked that down to a parasite, haven't they? Hmm. In Africa. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think yeah, it's mosquito, even a uh, mosquito-borne mosquito one. Yeah, yeah. And, that That's one is, weird. yeah, there's a lot of people who suffer from that, like over 40 million people. So it's not incredibly rare, but it certainly would suck to have it. Yeah. Yeah. There is one guy um, in China who, um, I don't know if it was actually elephantiasis or not, but he, he basically has a 15 kilo tumor on his face. And um, this article was from back in 2007, so I don't know exactly what happened to him, but they were planning on uh, surgically removing it. But, I mean, the guy's face is so disfigured at this point. I, I can't imagine what he would look like after having it removed. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know if there'd be any face left, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's terrible. Yes, I think it was something genetic. Like, he was born with that, and it just got worse with time. Yeah. And again, he's poor, um, didn't have money for, for any kind of medical treatment or anything like that. So it just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. That's the healthcare system that is how it works there. Mm-hmm. Like That's how these things get out of control. Because, yes, if somebody doesn't have money to pay for a doctor's visit or have this removed in time, yes, it will just grow out of proportion and... It is really pretty bad, you know. It's 50 kilos in the face. Yeah. That's that insane. Is, yeah. Well, I was nodding my head while you were talking, but we do have an article where they talked about nodding disease, and it was striking uh, yeah. children in Sudan, Uganda, and Tanzania. Again, you know, very poor populations. Uh, usually affects kids below 15, and like when they see food, they just start nodding and having like mm. seizure-like behavior. Or if they get cold, it kind of happens too. 
And mm-hmm. uh, another strange thing about it is like sometimes the kids will go off and start like running around on a rampage. And then after that, they'll fall asleep and they'll wake up and they can't remember what happened. But um, mm. the kids also look very, very young for their age and they have slowed mental development and they often mm. die from malnourishment or infections. But that's another strange one. But it sounds like it's yeah. a disease of very, very severe poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so strange that it will manifest in, it's in Africa, Sudan, right? Or there is yeah. a hunger, generally. Yeah. And it does sound like a type of epilepsy because they cannot remember anything afterwards. Mm. But it's so specific, like associated with food. It's yeah. so so odd but apparently if they're not familiar with the food like if it's an unfamiliar food it it won't happen hmm. yeah very strange I, I wonder if i mean because they say it's low it's it's um it's triggered by food and low temperatures so is, i wonder if it's like a certain kind of level of discomfort or something like that yeah. that uh like some kind of impulse that's there that there's a crossed wire and it just kind of makes them Triggers react in that it. very strange way yeah like they're just so food insecure, it affects them on an emotional and physical level. And being mm. presented with them just kind of, I don't know, short circuit something maybe. Mm. But a lot of these, all you can do is just say, hmm, that's so strange. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a lot you can really say about it. I mean, switch to a keto diet. I don't know if that's really going to cut it. <laughs> no. Meditate? Mm. Will that help? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. When the body says, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, should we go to Zoya's pet health segment? She has something to say about strange pets. Sounds <laughs> 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 interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I'm going to share with you a fascinating interview with one one of my most favorite researchers of the unknown, John Keel. Those of you who still don't know, John Keel was an American journalist and brilliant Fortean and ufologist, who is also an author of the Mothman Prophecies. Beside exploring the hyperdimensional nature of the UFO phenomena and its connection to paranormal, Kiel also extensively explored the topic of mysterious and strange animals or creatures that appeared from time to time in all the unusual places. So, this particular interview with John Kiel was conducted on 28th of July, 1980, by David Letterman, where they talked a bit about such cases. Enjoy. Our next guest is a Fortean, and we'll find out exactly what that is from him. He is also the editor-in-chief of Pursuit Magazine. Welcome, please, John Keel. John, how are you? So you're a Fortean, eh? Oh, well, I've been trying to outgrow it. Actually, uh, What is a Fortean? Well, it's spelled F-O-R-T-E-A-N. What is that? Uh, back in the early part of the century, there was a man named Charles Fort, 
who spent his entire life in the New York Public Library, mm-hmm. going through the old scientific journals and old newspapers, and he published a series of books about strange things that turned up in these old journals, like uh, when it would rain frogs in France or red snow in Switzerland. He kept track of all these things, did a series of books, and we started calling these events 14 events. I see. And today we still keep track. Now, the two examples you cited there, I have, uh, I've heard of the raining the frogs, and, it, and it's always a matter of, it's either one an old wives' tale. Uh, remember the time it rained wives' tales? Yes. Woo! Um, uh, or it's uh, disputed in some, they could just say, well, there were frogs in the trees. When it rained, they jumped out. Well, we have compiled a list of several thousand mysterious things that have fallen from the sky. They uh, documented things. They include things like stone pillars, cannonballs, uh, all kinds of strange things. In China, it once rained raw meat. No, and, uh, no. There, there's no explanation. When, when in China did it rain raw meat? Well, quite a while ago. It was in the 19th century. Now, how is but, it that all the unexplained things took place in the 19th century oh, or before? Oh, they're still taking place. Give me a recent unexplained thing, right, other uh, than Amazing Al. Every, every January and February, here in the Northeast, we have what we call skyquakes. They get into the papers sometimes. Now, recently, they've been blaming the Concord for this. But this has been going on. We've been keeping track of this since uh, about 1840. What is a skyquake? It's an explosion in the sky. We have no explanation for it. We've got a lot of pseudo-explanations. Well, how do we know when we hear one or see one? Because it's like when a jet, a jet plane passes over at, uh, you know, uh, Mach 2. It's like uh, breaking the sound barrier. It's an explosion that shatters, sometimes shatters windows and so on. And... Uh, this has been going on in, in Connecticut, for example. The Indians had legends about this going way back. So this has been going on for a very long time. But every time it happens, the scientists come up with a new far-fetched explanation for it. What is the, um, the most common or, or, or daily unexplained occurrence? I mean, something that we would all say, yeah, that's that thing. We can't explain it. What? Well, we don't necessarily have daily occurrences. But uh, in recent years, we, the UFO phenomenon has been very common around the world. Mm-hmm. Right now it's going on in Argentina. And uh, while a lot of people think they have an explanation for it, uh, actually we're just beginning to find out uh, what's really going on with the UFO phenomenon. UFOs are, are pretty much, I would guess if we asked the audience, I, we'd probably find over half of them said, yeah, they have reason to believe there's something going on out there, I think. At, at least 10% of them have probably seen one themselves. Has anybody here ever seen one of these things? People applaud if you've seen one. Yeah. And, and how many of you think there may be something visiting us? What other things uh, fall into the category of unexplained phenomena? Well, we have mysterious animals that turn up all over the world. Like what? Here in the United States, uh, every year or two, we have kangaroos uh, jumping around Illinois, Connecticut, various parts of the United States. We know there are no kangaroos here. The police go out and chase them, shoot at them. They disappear. We never... So what is, your, what is your theory? Where do you think they're coming from? The same place that the dinosaurs are coming from, because we have dinosaurs turning up every uh, couple of years. Uh, about ten years ago in Italy, the uh, Italian army turned out to chase a dinosaur in the mountains of Italy, northern Italy. And uh, they leave dinosaur footprints, and that's the end of them. They, they can't find any, where, they, uh, where they've been, where they've gone. Um, uh, we've, we've got better monsters than that. We've got our sea serpents, which 
We have several lakes in the United States that have sea serpents, not just Loch Nessons. Well, where is a, a serpent in this country? A, a Lake Champlain in New York State. Really? What is uh, up there? Henry Hudson, who was the first to go up there, reported seeing Henry Hudson and his crew saw a sea serpent in Lake Champlain, and every year somebody sees it up there. And nobody has yet organized an expedition to go up there and really look into it. Well, what's your need drive up there? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go up there next week. We'll take weekend. the Italian army with us. We'll get those boys. And uh, um, Have we ever photographed a sea serpent? Well, the one in Loch Ness has been photographed any number of times. Yeah. Now, movies have been made of it. Uh, and the movies have been examined by the RAF and other specialists. And they're obviously some kind of large animal that's living in Loch Ness. Now... This, uh, what do we have here? This, uh, this is a plaster cast of a, of a Bigfoot print. Now, you've all heard of the abominable snowman in the Himalayas. Uh, we have in the United States, we have a creature that's variously called Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And he's found not just in Washington and Oregon, but he's found all over the United States, especially in the Mississippi Valley. And even in New Jersey, we have quite a lot of reports out of New Jersey, and that's where this footprint comes from. This is from to you from Uncle Lou and Bob. <laughs> that's what it says here. <laughs> there are two Fortians in uh, New Jersey. Now this, made, uh, this is an authentic footprint. Did you make the cast? No, they they did. They're they, they're well known Fortians. Bob uh -huh. is an airlines pilot, and Uncle Lou is a, a dental surgeon in New Jersey, and they're they're very active. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It just sounds well, funny. Dental uh, surgeons make good casts. Uh, would, how big would this guy be based on this foot? He would be about 800 pounds, probably uh, eight or nine feet tall. Mm. And that's what the witnesses are always describing, incredible as it is. And in, of course, the Himalayas, the abominable snowman. Uh, now that, I, I think, uh, that uh, we believe in, or at least I do. To me, it seems like, sure, it's possible that something left over that survived the Ice Age or didn't survive there or something, you know, that there may be a missing link and so on and so forth. Some of this other stuff, like the red snow, what, what was the red snow? Well, the usual scientific explanation for that is that the uh, sands of the Sahara are somehow drawn into clouds and... Uh, drop in Switzerland. Now, I can believe that. Except there are no red sands in, in the Sahara Desert. And I've but what if part the, of my life on the What Sahara. if the sand went up and was somehow oxidized or and turned red? Isn't that well, a Well, they, they've made various chemical analysis of this kind of snow. We've had black snow, too. Good yellow and, snow. I'm yeah, familiar with that. Snow. <laughs> I think we're all waiting for that one, weren't we? Yes. Um, uh, the, we, we just don't know what what really causes this phenomenon. Uh, the, the sand explanation doesn't work. Is there one in particular that keeps you awake at night, that just gnaws at you? Well, there's some frightening things going on, yeah. Like what? Uh, what the, are we scared of? The here? animal mutilations that have been going on around the country, uh, especially out west in recent years. But they're also going on in Brazil and France and Australia and Switzerland, Sweden. And these are not pranks or sick no. uh, jokes? Th thousands of animals have been slaughtered now by some mysterious group. Uh, they drain all the blood from the animals. And uh, they also perform expert operations on the animals, removing certain organs. And uh, veterinarians who have examined these animals say they can't duplicate the operations. That's amazing. I would also like to know why cab drivers in the city don't speak English, but we'll never figure that one out. Uh, we have to pause. Mr. John Keel, a 40 and ladies and gentlemen. Edwin Newman will be with us.
was interesting. Not especially something very. you expect to hear on David Letterman. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> very I didn't know that existed. That was great. Yeah. I didn't know there were kangaroos in the U.S. and the people shoot them and they disappeared. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. Kangaroo window fallers. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of window fallers, maybe some of these really strange ailments like or womb fallers. <laughs> they fall into <laughs> someone's womb and they're born. I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. Well, any other strange ailments anyone wants to bring up before we call it a day? I think we covered a good bunch there. Yeah. There's always more. There's always more. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that is our show for today, folks. We'll be back next week with another show. And be sure to tune into Behind the Headlines slash The Truth Perspective on Sunday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And it'll show up on the SOP Radio Network page with your local time zone. So that's it, guys. We will see you all next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Have a nice weekend.